0: Welcome, everybody, to the A.J. Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I am so excited about today's podcast because we're talking about something that is very important to me and also with the change in our administration and the government, what that means for you in particularly the, your future and your family and how you get this set up right. So I want to dive into it. And without any delay, Steve, how's it going?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for coming on. This is such an important topic. I know so many of us, we are doing business, we have our investments, right? Even if it's they don't think that it's a lot, right? Maybe it's a few houses, but we have I have 4 kids, right? I work with my dad and my brother-in-law. Um and I'm not by any means old, right? I'm in my 30s, but thinking about our estate and thinking about planning and how taxes are going to be, you know, implemented in the future and all that it becomes um a little not overwhelming but it becomes clouded because i f- i feel like that a lot of people just don't understand how that works because they're investing, they're growing their business, they're growing their wealth, they're growing their savings. They're not thinking about, oh, how do we pass this on or what happens when I die or anything else, or even how to get that started so it's protected. So, thank you for coming on today. We're going to talk so much about that. Why don't you give our listeners, though, before we get into it, a little bit of your background?
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much. So, uh, started out in public accounting. I'm a CPA, worked for one of the largest firms in the country, KPMG. Um, have my master's degree in finance, went to Fordham University for my MBA. I also worked for J.P. Morgan as a vice president for a few years in a private bank, trust and investment division. And for the last 30-ish years, I've owned a consulting firm, SHG Planning. Um, basically, I do sophisticated work in business succession planning, estate planning, retirement planning, uh, get involved in a lot of sophisticated tax-related legal and emotional areas with, you know, wealthy people.
0: Absolutely. And this is a big, this is a, a big topic we spend. And, you know, I think about me and my wife were talking about this the other day, you know, we spend so much time working to try to give more to the next generation or to build the life that we want, right. That we, we, it would be just a shame if we did something stupid and ruined it all, or we couldn't pass that on our life's work and what we're really trying to do, which for me at this point in my life is to give more to my children as far as opportunity goes and as far as, you know, the life that and the things that we're going to build together. Um, So we've been thinking about this, obviously, a lot. I have partners that are family partners. And how does that work, right? Because for us, it was very simple. We were just partners in a business we started. Um, But what do you think are the main issues that, first of all, individuals and then families face when dealing with their wealth in general, no matter what size that is?
1: Well, I can answer that in a lot of different ways. So I'll, I'll hit upon a few, a few different things, you know, starting off with, you know, one of the things that makes it so difficult for people to properly plan is that it. I don't need to tell you that we have a very divided country and that, you know, you probably have, you know, 40 percent of people in the country that no no matter who the Republicans put up are going to vote for that person. And 40 percent of people, no matter who the Democrats put up, are going to vote for that person. And you got 20 percent of people in between that really dictate the election. And it, it almost seems like based on how our country works is whoever's in power, we get sick of that person and their feeling and we end up ultimately getting somebody in the other direction that comes in either after four years or after eight years. Cause Mm -hmm. if you look, we've gone Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, same thing happens in the Senate and the house. My whole life.
0: I've never seen anything except the, you know, the back and forth. I've never known anything, but it's just the, and and two it's getting extremer. It's like the candidates that the bases are putting forward is getting more extreme than I can ever remember.
1: Right. So the problem with planning is that like you just, You had had Obama and Obama had all these tax, you know, plans in place. And then Trump came in and obviously he was fortunate enough to have the Senate and the House, you know, aligned with Republicans. So he put through all these things and now you have Biden and now Biden has the Senate and the House, you know, barely, but he has them. And. Thus there's gonna be changes. Yeah, you know, and I'm saying could you so explain
0: to the listeners too? Cause this is a really important point I wanted you to touch on. The power that the president has, right? A lot of these things, like they're not executive orders that he's passing. Congress controls the purse strings, right? How when you're dealing with taxes and inheritance, Biden or whoever's talking is saying it doesn't matter, Biden or Trump or whoever, is saying they're gonna do things. What is the process to change our tax structure? What has to happen for whoever's making promises to actually get that stuff done?
1: Well, it's a great it's a great question. And it is a little complicated. So generally, generally, to do anything on the tax side requires a president to want something. Biden, he's a Democrat. You need the majority in the House they'll probably get that the Democrats because they have the majority and they'll probably vote along party lines. The Senate is always the big issue. So the Senate has, you You hear these terms about the filibuster and the Bird rule, you know, where you need 60 votes. And, and that's been a way for the minority party to have some level of protection, because if in this case, where it's 50-50 Democrats and Republicans and the Vice President Harris is the tiebreaker, so the Democrats have this slight majority there, Most things you need 60 votes. What has happened, Bush did it, Trump did it, and Biden probably is going to do it to a degree. There's a thing called reconciliation. So it means there are things you could do in the Senate that don't, you don't, not getting rid of the filibuster. So there's still the filibuster, you still need 60 votes. But you could do some things where you only need 51 votes to get things through. So theoretically, if, if, Biden got every Democrat to agree. And there are Democrats like Joe Manchin. There's some conservative you know, middle of the road Democrats that may not go along with some of this stuff. But if you got everyone to do it on Democratic side, and then obviously you got the vice president to vote, you could do things from a tax standpoint, but generally only for a 10-year period of time. So Trump did the same thing. So Trump came in 2016. One of the things he did is he raised the estate Exemption amount to like roughly $10 million a person. Now it's grown with inflation. So now it's like like 11 and a half million a person. But the law basically sunset in 2026 because they did it through reconciliation. You can only have it for 10 years. Okay. So that's why in 2026, almost all of the tax changes that Trump put forth all revert back to how they were in 2016 before he became president. So basically, If Biden did nothing, and whoever forget who wins the next presidency, if nobody was able to get anything changed, the laws in 2026 will revert back to what it was when Obama was president, okay? What Biden will attempt, I'm sure, to get certain things done through reconciliation. So whether it's going to be an estate tax change, whether it's going to be a capital gains change, you know, which we could talk about. Certain income tax related provisions, he's probably going to have a hard time getting 60 votes. It's going to be a hard time for him to find 10 Republican senators, based on how the Senate is today, that are going to say, Yes, we're willing to raise all these taxes on people because they know what's going to happen. If they do that, then some conservatives are going to come in and run against them the next time. No, that's just how it is. You know the opposite when it's a Democrats, you get a real liberal person to do it. So it seems hard to imagine that Biden can get ten Republican senators to agree to something tax-wise. Now look. There could be good negotiation, and maybe he gives the Republicans certain things that they really want, and maybe he can get some of the vote. But the odds are to get anything substantive from a tax standpoint done, it's going to be through reconciliation, which means it's going to be temporary. It'll start in 2021 and it'll go to 2031. It'll be the same thing like Trump. So, like 10 years from now, it'll revert back to how it was, not just when Trump was president, or like almost revert back to like when Obama was president. Yeah. It's just complicated. So long-winded answer. That's why planning sometimes is so difficult because, you know, the short-term oddball. changes
0: and there's short-term implications and long-term implications. And, you know, this is a, a great thing to talk about because a lot of people don't quite understand that. And now the taxes and things, when they come in, you have different kinds of taxes. Okay. Maybe we could talk about that for a minute. Could you kind of go through the taxes that are you know we we currently have just our normal taxes right but especially when it comes to what happens when you die what happens when you're transferring wealth to other people right and how, like the estate tax things like that just kind of where we're at today how that okay. stuff works
1: yeah, so let me kind of go through because uh, i know you've mentioned to me you have a lot of real estate mm-hmm. you know investors that listen so i'm going to try to gear some of these comments to people who are in that in that field, because there could potentially be, if Biden gets some things through, some things that could significantly impact I the real estate it. investors. We believe so, so. so so let's look, let's look at looks look at all categories. So first off, there's a thing today that's called the step up in basis. What that means in English is you're a real estate guy. You bought a building for a million dollars, you depreciated it, you have like no basis left in your real estate. The real estate you bought for a million is now worth three million, okay? When you die under current law, your basis in that real estate becomes $3 million. Forget estate taxes for a second. So your basis is $3 million. So theoretically, if your spouse or your children wanted to sell that real estate after your death and they got $3 million for it, they wouldn't have to pay any income taxes on it because the basis got stepped up to the $3 million. That $3 million is also a part of your estate. So depending on how big your estate is, it could be subject to estate taxes. But since the estate... Taxes today, federally, you have to be worth over like $23 million a couple. You probably have a lot of people listening that are not worth that amount that have real estate. So I don't know what the laws are necessarily in Idaho. I mean, every state is different. Yeah. Some states could have state inheritance taxes. New York State is an example. Where I'm from does. So you have to be cognizant of that. But for your guy who's worth $5 million that has real estate, that bought a piece of real estate and depreciated it and now dies and it steps up to $3 million. There's no estate taxes because he's beneath the threshold for estate taxes. And his kids could sell that real estate and not pay any capital gains tax. Okay, So that's today the law. In addition to today's law, you have obviously 1031 exchanges that real estate people do where they sell real estate, buy another piece of real estate, and they postpone paying the tax on it because they've bought another property. So These are things today that exist. So let's look at what could happen with Biden. And I'm not saying any of these things will get put into law, but they're things that are on the table. Number one, he wants to eliminate 1031 exchanges. Okay. Now, look, I know that this may not sound nice to a lot of people who listen that are real estate people, but think about it. If I buy Apple stock and I pay $10,000 Ten thousand dollars for my Apple stock, and it goes up to a hundred thousand. I don't have the ability to sell my Apple stock and buy IBM stock for a hundred thousand and postpone paying taxes. So why should real estate people be able to do that? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so they have a loophole—loophole uh, loophole, we call it whatever you want. They have a tax advantage in the law that nobody—you can't sell, can't sell a business and do that. You can't sell stock and do that, but you could sell real estate and do that. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing, Biden has on his agenda to eliminate. There's a lot of people who utilize 1031 exchanges to postpone paying ca- their capital gains tax. So that could go away. Second thing Biden is contemplating doing is getting rid of the step-up in basis. Now, one of two things could happen there. He, it could either be where today that same person who bought the million-dollar property, depreciated it to zero, it's worth $3 million. when he dies, either as kids will inherit it, but with a zero basis. So if the kids were to sell the property after mom and dad dies, because maybe I'm not in the real estate business, I don't want to own this property, they're going to pay $3 million and in, in, they're going to have capital gains tax on $3 million, which could be a million dollars or more, because Biden wants to increase the capital gains rates. So, you know, it could go up to ordinary income tax rates. So so that that same guy who died, whose kids could sell the property and pay no capital gains tax, now there could be a capital gain of $3 million, and it could be a rate at ordinary income tax rates because he wants to make the rates higher for people who have sizable income or capital gains. So that's one thing that could happen. The second thing that could potentially happen is there's actually a recognition of capital gains tax at death. So where that client wouldn't have any estate taxes because they're beneath the level, depending what Biden lowers it to, but he could. The, the, one of the ideas is that at death, you actually recognize that gain, so that three million dollar capital gain gets recognized in the example I gave you at death, and the 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 family, the estate, owes that cap the income taxes on that capital gain, which would then force them to sell the asset, which then. You know, you wouldn't pay it twice. I mean, obviously, if you sold the asset, you're not going to pay a capital gains on selling the asset and a capital gain on the inheritance. It would be one. But that could totally, totally change what people do. And and, and it where would force
0: the vast majority of people they would inherit to sell.
1: Because yeah, the vast never, majority
0: of people, if you're inheriting something. Most of the time, it's, you know, your parents had their savings, their retirements, and they bought some assets, right? I mean, we're we're not talking about – this is the interesting thing that always is – that I'm thinking about is this isn't usually the things – the people that get hit the hardest, right? They're not the billionaires, right? It's the people that mom and and dad in their retirement had a 10-unit apartment building, or whatever it was, right? Or a stock portfolio or something like that. They passed away, now we're getting it, but we can't maintain, right, this anymore. And they were doing a lot of this in prop 13 was under fire in California, right? They all, they all they barely held um that. And so that real estate tax, which means the tax doesn't adjust like here in Idaho every time that uh, our property's value go up, we get an increase in taxes, right? Um, same thing in New York. Yep, same thing in New York. California, that's not how it works. If you bought a house oh. at 200000 15 years ago, you're still paying $200,000 in taxes. And they were trying to get rid of that which would inherent have made lots of people have to sell a house that their parents had bought at 200000 which is now worth $10 million in California, right? I mean, just crazy numbers, um, which no, there none of these people's incomes could afford that. And so they were looking at taking out sections of the market, as in if you make under a certain amount, this tax won't affect you. So what they did there was they were trying to do that only on commercial-grade properties. Is Biden looked at something like that? Like, if you're getting rid of the 1031 exchange, can I no longer sell my house and roll it into a new
1: one? That I don't that that doesn't look like it's being proposed to change, but I don't know. I mean, look, the bottom line is this. You know, any listener, I'm sure you have a lot of intelligent listeners. I mean, we just borrowed trillions of dollars because taxes
0: are going up
1: no no matter what. You know, we were borrowing a lot. To begin with, it doesn't even factor in all the baby boomers that are going to like, you know, when they designed Social Security, they didn't design it that someone was going to retire at 62 and live to 95. You know, Medicare and Medicaid, they didn't design it that, you know, we're going to take care of people and they're going to be kept alive until they're 90, 95 years old. I mean, less than 30 percent of of, the
0: population even got Social Security when it was put in because they didn't live that long.
1: Well, if they got it, they died in a year or two. exactly So the point is. We have to live in the real world yep. but that taxes are going up. And mm-hmm. and the truth to the matter is, if you think about it realistically, I know we're going to go a little bit off topic, but I like it's fun because it yeah. is all important and yeah. it's things people could put their hands around. I mean, if you think about, you know, put aside COVID, you know, obviously a lot of people died that maybe some wouldn't have died mm-hmm. so quickly. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of problems with, you know, people taking, you know, Oxycontin and you have deaths in certain rural areas. But in general, medicine is getting better and better and better. I mean, look how quickly these companies came up with a vaccine. It's like a miracle that they came up that quickly with a vaccine. So medicine's getting better and better and better and better, you know, between personalized medicine and maybe some stem cell stuff that doesn't touch upon areas that you know, for religious purposes, cause people to have issues with it, you know, you know, genetic testing, you know, when you factor all this stuff in, I mean, people are going to live longer. I mean, they're just going to live longer because they're going to, you're going to find out you have cancer quicker than you would have ever before. There's Mm going to be better medicine for it. You're going to be kept alive. So what's going to happen is you're going to have people living longer and longer. Many people are going to live beyond hundred. You know, people live into 100, 110, 115, and these people are going to retire when they're 65 years old. You think about it. They started working at 20. They worked half their life. Half their life. 50 years collecting Social Security. So it's like, this is what's going to affect every city, every county, yes. every state, every country, it's not just the United States. No, it's all every over. country is dealing with this. United, why do you think you know, Greece and Italy and all those countries had all those problems because people were retiring at fifty five years old yep. and they and nobody wanted to pay taxes and they they just figured, okay, we'll live off the government for. 30 years. Yeah, Greece is I mean, a perfect case pay.
0: study of that. You don't know how to collect taxes and now you got all these people that are fifty and they're out on the beach.
1: <laughs> so I mean it's like somebody's gotta pay for it. So yeah, the truth of the matter is, you know obviously they're going to try i would assume to implement like they may say oh if you if you have a you know a property less than a million dollars you could do a 1031 exchange but if it's more than a million you can't or if your income's over some level you could do a 1031 exchange but if it's not you can't i mean it gets more complicated but they do things like that because they may say yeah we don't want to hurt the you know the the person who's not wealthy wealthy but the wealthy people you know they're going to, they're going to keep trying to figure out ways. And, you know, again, going back, I'm not here to say fair or not fair, but like, you know, if somebody, uh, bought GameStop, you know, like what's going on Uh crazy world and they bought an, you know, bought some call option and they made, you know, a million dollars and they say, Oh, great. I want to roll it into an option on something else. They got to pay tax. Yes. So, you know, why should they pay a tax? But a guy who does that with real estate, he doesn't have to pay a tax. So, I mean, it's like, so a 1031 exchange is clearly, it's not the only thing, but it's clearly one of those things out there that is such an easy thing to go after. Because it's like, it's generally very wealthy people that are just postponing paying a tax by just keep buying. And sometimes they're not even buying a property they think is the smartest investment, but they no, say, they're just you know, not paying taxes. Based, on, based on how much I'm saving on the tax. And then they figure, when I die, I'll get that step up in basis so my kids won't have to ever pay the tax. So I'll just keep doing this. So between getting rid of the 1031 exchange and maybe getting rid of the step up in basis, it may totally change how the real estate investor views when to sell a property. Because they may say, you know what? I'm not going to get a step up in basis anyway. And I can't do a 1031 exchange. And I think the market, like right now, you know, look at what's going on where you live in, in Idaho. I got to believe a lot of real estate's gone way up in value. Crazy. People may say, this is an opportune time for me to sell. And I'm just going to sell like I would sell a stock that I think has right kind of peaked, and yeah. I'm going to pay my capital gains tax and I'm going to take the money and invest it in something else. So, you know, yeah. I don't know if that is a long no, answer. It, no, it,
0: it does. It may, it's uh, and and two, it, it, it's logical in the format of taxes are going to go up. They are trying not to increase taxes on certain individuals, and they've got to find it through other means. Um, And we know that um, Biden's been very open about his um, going after real estate taxes. Um, That's not been in question, right? He's very, very open about that. So it'll be interesting to see how that will get passed. Um, and especially in, I, I doubt he'll get the Republicans to go along with that. He's gonna have a really hard time because a lot, you know, the vast majority of those senators, all their wealth in real estate. So that'll be interesting to see how, how they vote as, as well. Even like Nancy Pelosi and everything else like that. It's, it's crazy.
1: They got a big lobby real estate. It's a big, yeah. big law. You know? And, um, but look, the bottom line is this, you know, obviously I understand why Certain people try to vote Democrats out and get Republicans in because they feel that they're not going to raise taxes. But the truth of the matter is they used to do that because they also were very conservative about yeah. raising.
0: Fiscal conservatives is
1: gone. It's and gone. now they spend it money just like the Democrats get yep. money. It's like they may spend it in a slightly different way than the Democrats spend it, you know, but they're spending it. Yep. So Democrats, like,
0: Democrats tax and spend Republicans borrow and spend right And We live in a world where they both spend. They're out of control. And <laughs> um, we, we got to foot the bill. We got to foot the
1: bill. I love that. That's perfect. What you said. One, ta- one says, I'm going to spend the money, but I'll tax people to pay for it. And the other says, I'm going to spend money and I'll just keep borrowing money mm-hmm. to pay for it. And look, the truth of the matter is, you know, our country, you know, hopefully it'll stay this way for a long time. You know, the dollar and our country, it's our biggest asset, more than even more than our military. Our, the thing, single thing that is the most powerful thing that our country has is the dollar and our banking system. 100%. That's, that is our, pa- and the Fed. Like the yep. Fed the dollar our banking system. That is that's what makes us stronger than any other country in the world, because we could shut down countries and businesses just by cut. Co- that's what we did to Iran. You know, you yeah. want to countries and really you you just take them out of the banking system and, they're done. and that's basically how they're done. So we have to hope that we don't borrow so much money that we depreciate the dollar so much and and the Fed loses its effectiveness and our banking system loses its effectiveness because if that happens. That's where we're going to lose our ability to be the most powerful country in the world.
0: Yeah, the money supply spike, if you look at just in the last 20 years, it's eclipsed anything in history. The amount of money that's coming in from the government, low interest rates, um, and they've been able to continually do this because of the lack of inflation. Uh, But the problem they're facing now, and two, when you look at how the government spends, it's different. And it drives me nuts because people will compare – Um, the spending in World War II. And they say, like, the virus is our, you know, war. But in World War II, we spent it on machinery. We spent it on plants. We trained people to build things. We had infrastructure. Now we're sending people $2,000, and guess who gets it? Apple. And you look at, you know, Apple stock records it. They had the best uh, quarter, you know, they've ever recorded. Well, of course they did. The government gave everybody money, and they all went and bought iPhones. And so it's like the the spending, too— is horrible. So we're spending it, and it's just more and more moving into these mega corporations through government contracts, everything else, and it's getting out of infrastructure in the American hands. And so it's not just spending, but it's bad spending. And we've been stuck in this now since it feels like the you know moral hazard. 2008 happened, and now we're in this realm where it's like, we'll just keep bailing out. And I think you're right. It, that has to it, just, it can't go on. So you either have to tax them out of it, or you got to stop spending. There's only yeah. two ways to uh, go.
1: And to, to make another comment, you know, when it comes to spending, like, you know, our government, we look at our government like an income statement, like, you know, you take in tax revenue, and then everything you spend is like an expense. There are things to spend money on that are investments in the future of our country. Mm-hmm. And there are things to spend money on that are just like an expense, yep. you know, like, certain things that we do you know education being like to me I'm a big you know supporter of education like there are things that if you spend money on education the goal is to make the students of our country brighter and brighter and brighter and make them get to a point when they graduate from high school and college that they can get great jobs and then they become an asset to our society rather than a liability. Because think about this is another thing which we can get into. I mean, with all the automation and AI technology and everything that's going on, there are going to be, I mean, I know there are people today that have jobs like working in coal mines and like they're upset because, you know, people are going away from coal and they're going to lose their job. I mean, there's going to be people in offices that have like white collar jobs that make a hundred thousand dollars a year that are not going to have jobs at some point because you're going to automate so many, so many things that are done today by people. So you have to start planning, like how do we train all of our kids so that when they come out of school, they can get jobs that, are going to be jobs at that point in time rather than like a job that won't even exist when they get out of school because some computer's going to do it or some automation. So it's like, there's so much it's, and it's like we plan like everything's for tomorrow. The only time you get the Republicans and Democrats ever like sign something is when like, we're going to like the the Fed tells them that if you don't do this, we're going to close down the country because we don't have the money to pay anybody. And then you get them all to sit down the day before that happens. Like, is that how we have to plan? Like we need like, like, or, or there's a, guys, there's there's actually a hurricane coming that's going to hit every place in the United States at the same time. And we have two days advance notice for it. So we got to sit down and do something. It's like, that's the only time you get yeah. anybody to do anything in this country, because they don't want to plan for five years from now or 10 years from now, because maybe they won't be in office then. Yep. So they don't care. Yeah. So well, you, so you much- look at
0: even like the debt spending, we're <laughs> at lowest rates in history. And what do we do? We lock it up for five, 10 years. Like lock and, it up for a hundred years. Exactly. And the reason what? they don't is because it's that that's that quarterly payment is a little higher than if it was a short term. And you're going, This makes no sense. You should lock this up for eternity because it's free. But politicians think only in cycles, voting cycles. That's it. And it's like you're Wall Street running was- off quarterly returns. It, it's just a, res- a recipe for disaster.
1: Short-term, you
0: get short-term benefits. Um, I and
1: mean, the United States could probably go out. I mean, think about it. People are borrowing from Germany for 10 years at negative interest rates. I mean, just think of the logic. I'm going to give this country, gr- wait, Italy and Greece, like countries that were ready to go bankrupt, like you could borrow, they could borrow like 10 years at like one, one and a half percent. Like who's lending money to Italy and Greece for 1% or 1.5% over a 10-year period of time. The United States could probably issue 100-year bonds at like 2.5% interest rates. And think about that. You're locking in all this money, 2.5% interest rates, Okay. For 100 years, I mean, take advantage of what you have today, but you're 100% right, because instead of borrowing at two and a half, they're borrowing at 50 basis points because they're doing it over five years. So they're saving 2% on all that borrowing, so it makes the deficit look smaller, so they can spend more money on other things. But in the long run, that's so stupid to not do that. I mean, you hit on a great point.
0: So, you know, when you're looking at this and trying to do family planning and everything else because of the unknown future, how should you be structuring your investments looking towards the future and particularly with your family and children?
1: Yeah, well, look, it's a great question. I mean, look, all you can do is you got to plan for today and what the laws are today. You you know, you can't say, oh, I'm not going to ever do planning because whatever planning I do, the laws are going to change. It means you're going to have to modify your planning, you know, and you have to keep, you know, it may cost you money to do it in time, but you have to modify because if go off a bit, look, if we knew, if you knew today, 100% that you are not going to die for at least 10 years, you knew it. 100%. You may not bother to do a will because you'd say, I got 10 years to do it. You may not own any life insurance because you say, no, I'm not going to die in the next 10 years. If also you knew you weren't going to get sick, you may not have any disability insurance. You may say, oh, I don't even need health insurance. I'm not going to get sick in the next 10 years. But the truth is, you don't know those things. So even if you're 35 years years old and the odds are that you're not going to have these things happen to you, you'll always have to plan for if something were to happen to you tomorrow, what's going to happen to your business? Is your business going to be able continue to operate without you? If you have partners, is there a buy-sell agreement? Do you buy each other out? Is it properly funded? Is the valuation a fair valuation? You know, if you're older, not someone your age, but more my age, are there kids that are going to come into business? Which kids are going to come into business? Which aren't? Is the kid that's in the business really want to be in the business? Or is he in the business because he couldn't find himself and he figured at least if I get a job working for mom and dad, I got a paycheck, you know? And his mom and dad really want think that kid son or daughter could run the business or not and if not what's going to happen if something happens to mom and dad because you want your kid investing their working years in a business that they're not equipped to run and if mom and dad die, the business could be worthless or worth a lot less than it yeah. is while or alive so it's like the problem the thing is this planning people don't plan because it takes time away from things that are urgent to do today which are always going to get priority and it's hard to plan because it really makes you sit back and think and it makes you make decisions. Like you could have two kids, you're young, so it doesn't affect you, but picture your dad, you know, I got three kids and I got, you know, two of them in my business and one not in my business. And then dad's got to figure out like, what is he leaving to you? And what is he leaving to yeah. your other sibling in the business? And and like, what's fair when he's told you all through your life, I love you the same. I, I love yeah. everyone you equal. Well then maybe he can't give you equal stuff because you're in the business and he doesn't want to give your brother or sister shares in the company cause they're not involved in the business. So like, but how does he treat them? And then if he tells them, if he tells your brother who's not in the business that he's not gonna get something. And then he tells his wife, and then his wife, who doesn't have the greatest relationship with the father-in-law to begin with, says, okay, if that's how your dad's gonna be, great. You know what? Your parents aren't seeing their grandkids anymore. You know what? Screw them. I'm not letting them see their grandkids. If they're gonna treat you like this compared to what they're doing for your other brother and sister, then you know what the hell with them. Then then the only way I could punish them is they're not gonna see your grandkids. So a lot of grandpas and grandmas, like I'm a grandfather, so I know this. Yeah. A lot of grandpas say like, I'm not upset in the apple cart. Like yeah. I'm not telling anybody anything. Yeah. Cause you know what? I know no matter what I tell them, somebody's going to get pissed off, and then that could affect my relationship with them and with my grandkids or my kids. And you know what? When I die, that's when they'll find out about it, and that usually results in litigation because that's. First time everybody finds out about it and nobody's happy and they're like, oh, you, oh, you, you, you took my dad and mom and had them change the will because they would have never agreed to give you all this stuff. And like, I'm going to hire lawyers. And now you're spending, you know, tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting over things because you don't believe that really was what mom and dad wanted. You know, they were manipulated, you know, so. And this is that- so How-
0: common. This is so oh. I mean, this is just. It's, you know, ridiculous how this is just how it is. It's just how it works. And it's interesting when trying to solve these problems because, you know, um, I am one of four, right? And I'm in business with my father, my brother-in-law, my other siblings aren't. Um, And when structuring the business, we have to think about things like this. It is not simply we're just partners. So I do a startup with my dad. There's a whole list of other things now. We have to figure out what happens when you die, and we have we have in contractual basis what happens. So it doesn't go to the will. It doesn't go to the estate. So for us, we had to set up things in our contracts to protect ourselves from our estate. That's right. And it's, it's weird bad. that you have to think about that, but you got to have it out of the get-go. It's like... You can't, because if you don't think about that before, if you don't plan for that, when it happens, everything's destroyed. Family relationships, lawsuits, everybody's mad because nobody will see it fairly. Nobody will see it as in, uh, because you got more, What? It just that's not how people work.
1: Yeah, because what'll happen is a sibling that's not in the business is going to say, hey, you know, I realize you did this startup, but like you know, some of that capital came from dad to start the business. He had the money and, you know, dad had more experience and the business wouldn't have done as well without dad. And now dad dies and you and your your brother, let's say, whoever it is, is getting business and like, we're not getting anything, but like some of that value of that business really was because of dad. And that really should be shared by all of us. And you're going to live a nicer lifestyle than we live. And some of that's Mm -hmm. because dad gave you money. And then you don't speak to your brothers and sisters and, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving and everything, nobody's together. And there's lawsuits. This happens. There are, there are sisters that had closest relationships and over like which piece of jewelry or, or who got some heirloom, you know, cause I can't give it to everybody. So I decided to give this door to this ring and I'll give this door to this ring. They never talked for the rest of their life together yeah. because of why one got one piece of jewelry and the other. And maybe the smartest thing should have been, mom should have just sat there and said, you know what? I, I, I see the handwriting on the wall. I'm telling them I, I'm either getting them all to agree now before I die, or I'm selling every piece of jewelry That's the instruction. Every piece of jewelry gets sold and you take the money and you give it to everybody equally because otherwise they're all going to fight over it. So it's like, so the the combination of People don't want to take the time away from the emergencies they have to deal with today, coupled with how hard it is to plan and what kind of tough decisions you have to make, and that if you tell your, your children, you, you run the risk that it can impact your relationship with them. It's a combination of well, forgetting the tax issues and paying lawyers yeah. and accountants and buying insurance and to forget all those things. When you add that all together, that's the reason why such a large percentage of people just have not adequately planned.
0: So when you're looking, um, you know, we're almost out of time here. I apologize because I could talk with you about this stuff just literally all day long. It's so important. It's so intriguing. And uh, I like I like to talk about people, it doesn't matter. You have your parents. You, you know, We have this huge baby boomer generation that, frankly, uh, accumulated the most wealth out of any generation we've ever known, and the the estimates of what is being passed down, in the next 20, 30 years, is staggering. Mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. And to understand that this, I mean, you're talking about an enormous economy, basically, that's being passed on. And most of it is not prepared to be passed on in any way, shape, or form. What are your suggestions? Okay, we have taxes, right, and then planning. Let's hit the two things just real quick. What should you do? Who should you go find? Obviously, you're not going to do it by yourself sitting here. This time. my family does it, anybody else. Who do you need to help you make a plan? And how should you be preparing?
1: Well, the best thing from a planning standpoint is to have a team that's willing to work together. Two, two problems I find happen. Sometimes the founder, like let's use in your family, dad and mom, like sometimes the founder doesn't want the team together because they like to feel they're in control. And if they meet individually with their accountant and their lawyer and their investment people, nobody can team up on them, you know, so like they can dictate, but it usually works best when you have a team, because then if everybody that you trust is working and there's no egos, it's not like the accountant wants to be the one in charge or the lawyer. If everybody works together as a team, then you hear a lot of different opinions from people with different expertise and if they all agree on something, it should give the founder more confidence to say, well, I'm going to go with this plan because I trust these people and, and, and they've together come up with something that makes sense. So, so having a a team is important. A guy like myself, I have, I'm a little unique in how I fit into the equation in that, like I'm a CPA, but I don't really practice to do accounting. So I don't even do my own tax returns, but like, the way I kind of put it is like if you were in a room, and in your room you had a planning team, and you had your CPA, and you had your lawyer, and you had a pension guy, and you had an insurance guy, and you had a you know an investment guy, and everybody's in the room, and everybody in the room smart, and they all know their discipline, and everybody in the room knows a certain amount about what everybody else in the room does. I guess my unique selling proposition—I'll give—I'll plug myself for a second here—is that I'm the one in the room that knows the most about what's going on other than the person who specializes in that field. So like of, of anything relating to taxes, I'm going to know more than anybody other than the accountant. Anything relating to the estate side, I'm going to know more than anybody in the room other than the lawyer. When it comes to insurance, I'm going to know as much as anybody other than maybe the insurance guy and the same with investment. So it's like I'm the guy in the room It's like the United Nations where I could speak Portuguese and Spanish and Italian and and Mandarin and English. Like nothing slips through the cracks because I understand almost everything that everybody in that room is talking about. And it's valuable to have somebody. I'm not the only one to say that, but it's valuable to have somebody like that on your team because you know that every time somebody's saying something, there's somebody in the room that understands everything coming out of everybody's mouth. A quarterback. So
0: getting that, yourself a quarterback that can see, see the plays, call the shots, understand what everybody's supposed to be doing to try to make sure that that play is executed.
1: That's right. And that everybody works as a team together. Yes. There's no egos like, you know, I want to be the boss and stuff like that because that that only hurts the client. Yes. The client gets hurt by that. Yeah.
0: No, I couldn't agree more. Um now, when you're doing, is a lot of people have a misconception, I think, or that I'm not wealthy. I, you know, I'm not worth hundred million dollars, or I'm not a billionaire. I don't need to be doing this stuff. Um, I, you know, I think you vastly underestimate how families fight. Like you mentioned, the jewelry, right? It, it doesn't matter if it's fifty thousand dollars or five million dollars. They're fighting. And right. so, um, I would just suggest people here, you know, before we get off to go and start researching this and understanding, having conversations that may be hard conversations with your parents saying, we've never talked about this here and we need to, do you have a plan? Like, how is this all going to work? Cause you don't want this stuff to destroy families. It just isn't worth it. And two, at the end of the day, the money all goes to the attorneys which is the last people you want your money going to. But they just suck these things dry. And it becomes more about winning. And it becomes more about, I don't feel loved. And I feel that if somehow I win this, I'm going to be feel loved and know that mom and dad loved me those are all things that just need to be avoided because first of all, they're generally speaking not true, um, for 99% of all the families and attorneys were never going to make any of you feel loved by your parents or anybody else. Um, but that's how it ends up and that's ends up what's happening. So I would suggest everybody uh, parties start and love. now.
1: Parties and love don't usually go hand in hand.
0: Uh, uh-huh, exactly. So they're really, really efficient at breaking up families, not good at putting them together. So, uh, well, Hey, thank you you so much. I appreciate your time on here. We uh, went over, but I, I, I'm i really glad you came on and we could have these discussions because they're so important and people need to change their frame of mind. Um, where can people get a hold of you, though, if they'd like to reach out and learn more about what you do? Uh, a
1: couple of things. So uh, if they go to stevengoodman.biz, uh, they can download a free copy of my book that I wrote on business succession planning, which anybody who has A business with family or partners, I think, would get a lot out of it. And then they could also go to uh, shgplanning.com, which is my website where I have like about 70 articles on my site that people could download that's on kind of so many different types of subjects. And S Goodman at com is my email address, my number 516-297-7390. And I thought this was great. You're right. We could have probably kept this going for hours and I think people would find it interesting yeah. because it's real. This isn't technical. We're not trying to get overly no. technical. It's, this is real world stuff. Yes.
0: Well, and it's interesting too, because I don't know why, but this is the stuff people avoid talking about maybe because it's too personal, but if you're, if you're avoiding talking about something in my experience, that's the thing that needs to be talked about.
1: 100%. So,
0: well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time and the value that you've brought to our listeners. Everybody, Go check them out. Thanks again. We'll see you.